The Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes? Like a lot of them. Digital extras, exclusive merch with new stuff coming soon. And more? Join us in the curiosity shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins. And also, we're hatching a new little segment uh, that I now don't remember at all what it is. But it's going to be new things to listen to for patrons. So, you know, find out when I do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude. And entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group where all the cool kids are. Totally. It's super fun and also super chill. Yeah, and we might have um, secret society rings at some point going yes. forward. So I'm super excited! Yeah, if you if you want in on that particular in joke, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, come see us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> in a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street. You'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 2, Episode 14, Fizzle and Bang. Yep. We're going to be talking about dicks. And downstairs kitty cats. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> because I just found uh, that letter name today. Okay, I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie from Uberdork Designs, an official true crime creative. Da da da! Yay! So, so something weird happened. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Um, we did talk about your incident <laughs> on the last <laughs> podcast, right? We did, when I scared the crap out of myself over a firefly. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Well, last night, I had been doing some spell work, specifically some protection spell work for someone in my coven, and... Like, I threw the kitchen sink at it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so there was sort of a lot of energy going on in my living room. And then I went to get ready for bed, like, cleaned up everything, cleared everything. It, like, I, I was done with, I was done doing the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I heard my kittens. 
who are no longer kittens, uh, bouncing around in the living room. And I was like, what? I, I do not have time <laughs> for your antics. I am tired. I must go to bed. And so I walked into the living room, which was dark because my husband had already gone to bed and I was just brushing my teeth. And all of a sudden, there's this light. <laughs> no. <laughs> does that sound familiar? It does. Was it so blinking or was it, it solid? It was blinking and moving, but sometimes it was solid. Oh, like Morse code yeah. from above. It, it really was. <laughs> and so I turned on the light because the kittens have a firefly play mat that lights up um with leds it's like a quiet toy Mm -hmm. and so i thought i don't know that they had dragged it someplace (laughs) you know whatever so i turned the light on and nope nope there is a firefly that is just circling my altar space and so i try to catch it because it's a firefly. Right. In my Brooklyn apartment. I was just going to say, in your Brooklyn apartment, like nothing about that makes sense. How did you get in here? And we do have fireflies, but we don't really have fireflies in my neighborhood. Like there are fireflies in the park. And I don't think they're super high flyers. Like I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. It's fair. And. So I'm trying to catch this thing, and it was being a superfly, superfly higher. Wow, um, <laughs> it was being a super high flyer because we have like 14 foot ceilings, uh-huh. <laughs> and I could not catch that thing. And every time I would get close, I would just lose it. So I turned off the light, figuring that I could maybe catch it better <laughs> if, if I could see it light up. And the kittens are, like, circling me like sharks because they (laughs) want the bright blinky thing. And I didn't see it for a little while. And I'm looking around. And I have a copper cauldron Mm -hmm. that is very reflective. That little fucker flew in (gasps) to my copper cauldron and lit up. And scared the shit out of me. Whoa. Because all of a the sudden there was like, whoa, <laughs> coming out of my cauldron, like this Harry Potter shit going on. I was like, all right. And then I gave up. I was like, okay, Firefly, you win. <laughs> you can just stay in my living room. I, I will escort you out if you elect to appear and allow me to do it what are the odds i don't know i'm really interested to see what happens when it gets dark tonight yeah because i don't know their lifespan but it's more than a day yeah ours disappeared mine disappeared it was gone the next morning night it's not been seen since so i don't it was really weird yeah so i did take it upon myself to look up firefly symbolism yes just for fun and now i have lost it where the hell are you Hmm? aha there we are okay 
None of the names of the sources are culturally appropriate in any way. Oh, so they're not getting named. Okay, fair enough. Because yep, it's bullshit. Yeah, we don't play that way. Yep. All right, so uh, 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 that said, fireflies imply that you need to guarantee yourself a better future because you have a vision that will direct you. Um, and the vision you are seeing is to maintain the direction you are taking. So that's fun. So our podcast is going to be a success. Fucking yeah. It's also a sign of redemption and undergoing a different phase in your life. Um, because you should be good at everything you're doing. I don't know. Um, I, this may be a bad translation. It's, it's as long as it's not like you're going to die or you're yes. impeding doom. Which, I mean, that's a firefly. It yeah. can't be bad. People should know that you are a great warrior. Yes. <laughs> by Fuck watching yes. what you do in life. <laughs> On I... the other hand, Uh-oh. they will make sure that they are beside you because they see a bright future in you. Aww. Seeing a firefly is a good omen. Good. Good, good, good. Yep. Oof, I was a little worried. Oh, um, it, it, it's a good thing. Yeah. Anyway. Everything else is just mildly contradictory nonsense. So (laughs) we'll go with that. Um, So we we have each had a firefly. Yes. That has shown up, refused to go away, and seems to have disappeared. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks, fireflies. Yeah. Noted. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to be great at what we do. Yes. And... We have bright futures. Yes. I like all that. I don't feel like fireflies are warriors, but you can see my dick from space. (laughs) So. (laughs) That's perfect. Yes. (laughs) You give big dick energy and I give like glowing butt energy. I'll take it. <laughs> um, speaking of dicks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What's going on with you? Uh, so I found the one thing I, in nature I don't want to hug. Um, oh? So like two days in a row. I, like Actually, no, it wasn't two days in a row. It was like two days apart between. But in the same, twice in the same week. Uh, when returning from going into town and dropping my youngest off, I saw these, the first time there was two of them, the second time there was only one, but it was this giant fucking bird. Like, <laughs> I was like, we we don't have vultures in Wisconsin. Like, I mean, it was just giant and like. You do have gi- vultures I in Wisconsin. Know. Now I know. But, like, I was trying to explain to my eldest, and she's looking at me like I'm on crack. And I'm like, look, it was like a giant fucking goth turkey on crack meets, like, a vulture. <laughs> and then she looks it up, and she's like... Goth turkey on crack. Yeah. And she was like, did it look like this? And she showed me a picture, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's a turkey vulture. 
turkey huh. vultures are frightening and uh they they vomit poison when they're angry <laughs> yes no so um well i mean they gotta have poison in them they're like, eating some pretty yeah. nasty That's shit all they eat is like roadkill so um so well, yeah that's their job they also so, are very good for sky burials yeah yep mm-hmm. yep um which i believe the Sikh do Ooh, part of the Sikh hi culture. jack so are yeah turkey vultures. um we rescued another turtle this time like an hour and a half away from our house <laughs> Oh, of course. So apparently that's a thing. And then uh, we have a magic stump that just keeps growing mass quantities of chicken of the wood f- mushrooms. And... Could be worse. Right. Like, that's... Thanks, ma- magic stump. Right. That's nature talk with Natalie. And then... Uh, <laughs> and then I just got in almost all of... I have a couple more things arriving yet, but a giant giant quantity of ppe and all of the things to do some resin projects i have in mind i'm super excited um i'm also super worried about like because i went down i will over research things i'm sure that's shocking um and i don't say and i watched so many uh resin videos and uh some from like i don't want to say legitimate but more serious artists uh with yeah resin crafters yeah with like the science behind craft with a c capitalized Uh, right um so but like you know people that are like here's the science and this is why this works with this and which i love and um and can get behind and then i saw a video of like this woman who not only didn't have on any kind of respiratory gear, no, but, no, 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 but was literally using just her bare fucking fingers to put epoxy resin on something, and I'm like, that's not good. That's not Ouch. how that's supposed to happen. So I, I have all of that's the protective. That's a very bad idea. Seriously. Does she still have fingers? She does, but I don't know how long that she's gonna have them. Um, and then there was a couple of videos of like people going, "Hi." You need to wear like respiratory gear and not just your, you know, like your standard little, you know, masks that we've been wearing. No, you like need a to have respirator. Right. So I have a respirator now. And so I, all my search, my search between our topics this week. Do you have the pink one and with the things? I didn't get pink, but it's, uh, but yeah, I have the big with the things. I found one that was, uh, it's like gray that was like two dollars cheaper and i was like i don't need to pay the oh i tried to find one but being kid sized the only yeah oh yeah thing they come in is <sighs> pink yeah so i have some really cool projects coming because i also ordered uh some professional grade uh two-part silicone to make molds for things Fuck yeah. So uh, I'm pretty Silicone excited. Silicone mold making is fun. I know. I'm so excited. So that's that's the the upcoming stuff for me. Um, yeah, that's it. You know, turkey vultures, magic mushrooms, and, you know, dangerous hmm. sciencey, artsy, craftsy stuff. <laughs> I saw a lot of wild turkeys this weekend. Yeah. 
where they're they were Republicans real dumb or real and fall out of trees. <laughs> yeah, wild turkeys are not bright. No. I can't even believe they get up in the trees. Like, have you ever watched a turkey fly? Yes. It is. It's probably like, I shouldn't laugh because it's probably like me trying to do anything graceful right now. <laughs> but still. I shouldn't shame the turkeys. But yeah. It's, they're gigantic, though. And yeah. there were, there was an entire brood of baby wild turkeys running around oh, my in-laws farm this weekend. So Oh, the babies are cute, though. Yes, and my spouse brought me back two feathers that he found while walking, and I had no idea that wild turkey feathers were so beautiful. They are. They are. Um, Like, there's this black and white chevron sort of uh, mm -hmm. looking feather from their wings that I just don't think I'd noticed before. Anyway... Wild turkeys, don't fuck with them. Nope. Turkey vultures, also don't, don't fuck, fuck with them. Don't fuck with them. Faye, don't uh. fuck with them. <laughs> no, although we seem to be tap dancing around that last one. Right. I feel like they're tap dancing around us. <laughs> they, yeah. It's like That's true. Oh, We're not doing it. It's this like they're going, us. oh, you won't fuck with us? <laughs> mm, well. <laughs> well then. So, yeah, yeah, this all started when I bought that damn book it's, that yeah. I still have never opened. Yeah, uh, Eldest is like, we're going to put some milk and honey on that stump. Because we harvested, um, like, so it already got harvested initially because um, our super amazing neighbor was like, hey, look what's growing on your stump. And I was like, we figured out what it was. And then uh, I was like, have at it because uh, I was going to be out of town and, uh, and stuff. So he yeah. harvested it and... It, the second came back even more intense, just huge and crazy pans. And we harvested like a third of it. And there's, yeah, if you follow me on Instagram, there's like a picture of like this giant stack of mushroom. And yeah, that it's like, beautiful. Like a third of it. Uh, so, and then uh, Eldest is now, she's so into it now between, you know, kitchen witchery and the stump. So she was like, a, she's like in, just enamored with mushrooms. So I got her a... Um, an oyster mushroom growing kit so she started growing oyster mushrooms <laughs> so and it's very cool yeah she had to show you so yes i got to see it and i am almost as excited as she is about it it's pretty fun so yeah so she was like i was like uh i guess we weren't supposed to maybe take the magic that was growing out of the stove <laughs> She no, like, I think you oh, were honey. since it came back stronger. I was going to say, it's kind of hard not to because we try to leave it go and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's like, okay. Oh, no, I, I think it, it coming back is a good sign. Uh, there needs to be some further research. Yeah. Listeners, if you have experience with fucking with the Fae <laughs> in a not absurdly dangerous kind of way get in touch yes we gotta talk to you yes <laughs> we need to know a few things we do indeed do you know what yeah. else we need to do uh i don't know is it thank our patrons it is Yay. take a quick break to thank all of our fantastic and i mean fucking fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. 
Yes, we love you. We so love you. And give a totally normal and not at all creepy. Welcome to, I believe it's Katie, C-A-I-T-I, and Lena, and also a giant thank you to Patrick for doubling his support. I could smooch ya. So welcome, Katie, Lena. Thank you so much, Patrick. You are the fucking best. I mean, really the fucking best. Seriously. Yeah. Wow. All right. And because you are the fucking best, we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you, even if they contained magical mushroom-bearing stumps and or fireflies. Absolutely. And if you want in on this fun, you'll get a huge backlog of Patreon-only episodes, including next week, where we talk Victorian sex tips and other fun. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. Indeed. Cannot so get wait. thee to the Patreon. It's like a dollar to join. It's minimal. You don't have to stay if you don't like us. There's no hard feelings. Well, it's five dollars if you want the episodes. Yes. True. You just get them early. Yeah. For a dollar, which is still so wonderful. Yes. Like. We love it. And you're Join still us in the group at any level you that you can. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the Facebook group, obviously. Yes. Like, that is, that is a welcoming environment for supporters of any level. Yes. Wow. I am awkward because I went out for the sixth time, I think. Yeah, but you went out, out. For the past year and a half and encountered all of my in-laws and extended family it um it was wonderful but i am very stupid now so bear with me uh luckily uh oh nope just lost that train of thought (laughs) it just flew away um anyway luckily i'm talking about dicks yeah which is a thing i know a thing or two about indeed so comes with the big dick energy (laughs) it's true so let's talk about the history of condoms yes because goodness there (laughs) is a history of condoms indeed okay So the main source for my research, and there were quite a few additional sources, which I will also include in the show notes, but the main source that I want to give a hat tip to is called A Short History of the Condom by Hallie Lieberman on JSTOR. You're giving it just the tip? (laughs) I'm not sure if that was supposed to be a dick joke. I don't know, but I kind of think so. I talk a lot of Hallie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, so you might be wondering. You might be looking around and thinking, you know, who made the first condom? The answer is, who fucking knows? <laughs> 
But we do know that men will stick their junk in just about anything. And it was at least reasonably clear that sex produced babies and possibly somehow managed to make you sick in some way for much of human history. Hmm. Um, I'm not actually sure if pre-germ theory we knew or that one would know that you could pick up something itchy down there from your local house of ill repute but i assume people did that math anyway so at least preventing babies would have been an obvious use for what would have been the earliest condoms. And according to medical historian Vern Bullough, animal intestine commons have existed since at least medieval times, but it's possible that they were already in use in 10th century Persia or even before. It's sort of unclear because there are, in ancient writings, like specifically in ancient Egypt and uh, Japan, Mm -hmm. there are writings that might hint that a variety of what we would know as a condom was being used, but it's kind of unclear. Um, there was also, for a while, linen condoms that were, uh, oiled or waxed, which, I mean, I guess, (laughs) you can make things watertight with that. I, in fact, have some wax in my studio behind me that is made to make canvas coats waterproof. So, okay. That's fine. It sounds abrasive. I was going to say, that sounds scratchy. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't think they were particularly popular. All right. Yeah, for both parties. Yeah. Well, dudes have never liked condoms. That's true. So back to animal intestines. <laughs> yes. We're going to stay with them for a little while because oh, fun. they are a very long-lived prophylactic. It makes sense on paper. It does. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So animal intestine condoms were usually made of the intestines of sheep, calves, or goats. And they were often the remnants of leftover items from butchers. Hmm. After sausage making. That does come up um, (laughs) in several ways. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And this kind of condom remained the norm. 
until the mid-1800s. And I should say that I'm specifically talking about Western uses because I could not find many good sources in a language I could understand on non-Western varieties of condoms. So, these animal intestine condoms were somewhat adorably tied in place with the use of a ribbon that was tied in a bow around the base of the penis. Okay. It's like a little present. Right. (laughs) There's a little Scottish song about that. (laughs) I'm sure. To find it and link it. <laughs> oh my goodness, that that's funny. Um, also, anyone who's listening who's wondering, no, there's nothing under those kilts. No, no. In fact, uh, the the punchline of the song is, I don't know where you've been, but it looks like you won first prize because of the ribbon. <laughs> that's really funny. It is. Also, I know firsthand. Yeah. Ugh. God bless a kilt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> All right. It will shock absolutely no one to know that men didn't really like to use condoms because they sort of lived in the shadow of houses of ill repute, which seems like very questionable reasoning, given these same men probably frequently engaged the services of sex workers. Mm -hmm. But nobody asked for my opinion. Definitely not. (laughs) And if you happen to be wondering how to make a condom using animal intestines because I know I kind of was. Well, I'm here to tell you all about it. Yay. To make them, the intestines themselves were carefully cleaned. And this was not an easy process because all of the tissue and viscera and such that would have been in some way stuck to them had to be removed, it needed to be disinfected. Like, it was a whole thing. And intestines, while not terribly delicate, were delicate enough that that kind of processing wasn't easy. Yeah, I can see that. And so, if you did manage to clean your intestines and get them all sorted out without putting a hole in them, it would be knotted at one end, usually with a string, like tied off. Although I am not sure if that was ever just manually tied. I... I sort of think not because that might have felt weird, but I I don't know. I have seen images of them, and they don't really help answer my question. (laughs) Because 
artifacts of that particular time period and that particular use aren't exactly in good shape. I was going to say, I'm guessing that doesn't hold up all that well. No. And once cleaned and knotted, they were placed on a form until they were mostly dry. And the resulting condom was then removed from the form and presumably continued to dry the rest of the way. And assuming you didn't accidentally put any holes in it, it was washable and reusable. Which sounds kind of ugh, but if you're using it with the same person, like... Hopefully, but yeah. That that is much less yuck. Yeah, it is. At the same time, I'm picturing like yeah, yeah, just the cleanliness factor of it. <laughs> it's not like yeah, yeah. There's there's concerns a little bit. You may also be unsurprised to learn that Casanova, whose fondness for sex is the stuff of legends, didn't like them. Mm. Which seems concerning, given his reputation. Right. Ew. That's that's a walking petri dish. So, sauntering into Victorian times, suddenly there were a variety of new places in which to stick your junk. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. An item called American Tips were the nickname for a rubber cap that became available in the late 1850s that only covered the glands. And if you do not know what that part is, it is the tip of the penis. Just the tip. Just the tip. And there are packages that make that joke, which is kind of funny. I'm just picturing little finger cuts. (laughs) Well, I tried for so long to look up an example of this thing. And it's very unclear whether or not I have found one. I do not know. They... Because they were what they were at a time when you didn't talk about it, yeah, it it gets a little hard to chase it down. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to find things labeled condoms. It's not particularly easy to find prophylactics that aren't. <clears throat> Do you know who you can thank for your dick cap? Who? Charles Goodyear and Thomas Hancock, who <laughs> discovered the vulcanizing of rubber. Wow. So that's right, friends. You got your tires and your dip- dick caps from Mr. Goodyear. Nice. So that's fun. That is. That's, I was not I'm picturing that. No. And at about this time, this is following the mid-1850s, 
a combination of concerning things seems to have existed in at least one mail order catalog, which I have linked in the show notes, <laughs> that seems to have been a combination lady parts and male parts swapping of functionality item. And I'm all about multi-use items. Yes. But there in this advertisement it describes this item as a combination check pessary and sheath. Hmm. Now, I had never heard of the term check pessary before. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's a diaphragm. Oh. And uh, it's also this... a thing if you have, like, organ prolapse. Yeah. That it, the plug you stick up there. Yeah. There are lots of different kinds of pessaries. It can also be basically a vaginal suppository. Okay. There are lots of different incarnations but this one is both that like the diaphragm version of that and a full-length condom okay i not at the same time but so not like, at the but, same time okay but either like, or but it's the same thing like they just you stretch it to be this or that is that it or because we're talking some size difference in uh, width aren't we? and length. Quite a, I mean, look at your cervix. <laughs> and look at a dick. Like, I, I am confusion. All right. <laughs> this particular device had a coil spring that allowed it to roll into a vaginally inserted check pessary or check pessary. I want to say pessary, and it's not okay. um, pessary. So consider that like it rolled I down around did. a metal spring. So that's fun. So as someone that has had far too many of the leap process in her life, I don't want mm-hmm. any coiled um like coiled metal object all up in my who like that's not comfortable i've had a copper iud and i can i've had an iud um yeah but yeah i, I huh, no. yeah i i have the or i had the version that now is in all of the lawsuits <laughs> <laughs> For the, the non-hormone version. Yeah, it, I had the hormone version. I was a monster. Um, but also, that shit lasted all in nine months. And I was like, out! Out, <laughs> damn metal. Yeah. So, anyway, we're not talking about my downstairs kitty cat. We're talking about theoretical downstairs kitty cats in the wild. In the wild. In the wild. In the wild. So this particular item could roll down, and in my mind, you know the um, the Nixit menstrual cup that is like the really 
large looking non-suction menstrual cup. I don't know that one, but I'm gonna look it up now. Anyway, it happens to be the one that I use because it's extremely comfortable and you can have sex while wearing it. Nice. I just want something that I don't think is going to fall out when I sneeze, you know? Oh, this one doesn't rely on seals. It just sits there and does its job and you can empty it with muscle contractions. Yeah, and it shut the front door. Totally. Nice. Oh, it looks like a diaphragm. It does. It's bigger than you think it is. But also, so are the internal areas of your lady parts when not tensed. Yep. Anyway, it's great. Highly recommend. I'm adding this to my list of to be purchased in the future here. Yeah. It does take some... There's a learning curve. I'm all about learning curves. I fully anticipate whatever I try to have one, but like there's... Yeah. Anyway, they're awesome and I love them, but that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) But it does at least put into perspective that though this thing sounds like a really probably ill-fitting device, that it maybe wasn't that bad... But I assume that when it was used as a male-worn contraceptive that, well, it wasn't a contraceptive because it couldn't be, prophylactic, Yes. that the spring is what held it around the base of the penis, which also sounds like... Uh, yeah, I don't. Like there, there would be hair pulling, and oh. I just don't feel like it's a good idea. It, but it, since I cannot find photos yeah. of this particular thing, let alone like, I wanted drawings because I wanted right. to know. Like I definitely. Yeah. So want. I found the description in the catalog, but this one doesn't even have a drawing. All the other ones have drawings. Okay, but is there a patent around for it? Because then there would be a drawing. Did they have to submit drawings? Was it patented? I doesn't say it is, from what I remember. Because I just, I really... I mean, I'm sure it is. I need to know now how, how we could do both jobs. Because I am not figuring how that could origami into both. I mean, I do understand it because in this same catalog there are other Czech pessaries mm-hmm. that are not convertible. I, I get I get how it would work for that. And they just look like diaphragms. Right, but I that would just cover a tip, but you would have to be like Rasputin for it to cover your tip. <laughs> like I'm having to like I I don't think that before latex condoms fit closely uh that's true that's true i think it was like your dick in a bag (laughs) your dick in a bag i'm not gonna sing it (laughs) but i'm thinking it yes (laughs) (laughs) get a bag two put that dick in the bag Yep. (laughs) Right. All right. 
now I've really lost where I am completely <laughs> because we have taken a dick in a box field trip. Yes. Which right. Oh, there actually are dicks in boxes at nice. some point Ooh. that I I think are also prophylactics. It's okay. A it's a question. Anyway, so dick caps. Back to dick caps. <laughs> you can still get them today. And they're called glands protectors, and they often seem to be combined with penis extenders. And so I, because none of the language on any advertisement for any (laughs) home health aid is (laughs) specific, I cannot tell if maybe they are support for erectile dysfunction they i mean obviously a, a lot. penis extender a lot. is mm-hmm. what it says on the tin mm-hmm. but like what are you protecting your glands from it's supposed if it's if you aren't supposed to stick it wherever it is that you're thinking of sticking it i don't feel like a tip protector is going to be that helpful yeah unless it was to help prevent any kind of chafing underneath it with the extender well they're usually a combination thereof okay but yeah i don't know they're they're interesting and apparently some of them had eventually would have reservoirs like regular condoms i actually kind of like the idea of them if you're just using them for birth control yeah. Um, because I feel like dudes would be way more likely to wear something that would just cover the tip. Yeah. But I don't know. I only have a mental dick. So <laughs> I can't really say. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your penis. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to rubber condoms. By the end of the 1860s, Full-length rubber condoms were available, but they were uncomfortable. For many reasons, I think, having seen the photographic evidence of these, but mostly because they had a seam down the middle. Ugh. I'm picturing, like, those giant, thick, like, cleaning gloves, dishwashing gloves, do you know what I mean? Like, the big yellow, bright yellow ones. Yeah, they're even weird. They kind of look like fleshlights. Oh, God. Only for actual wearing during sex. I'm mm. a little unclear about how these worked. I also can't really tell the scale of them from most of the photos. But... Yeah, so they were uncomfortable, which then leads me to think of Kitchener Stitch. Yes. Because (laughs) that is how Mm -hmm. seams were removed from toes of boots, so soldiers wouldn't get get blisters on their toes. Yeah. So I feel like something needs to be done here. Yeah. Next up, a thinner, seamless rubber condom started popping up. And I'm really not meaning to make dick jokes, but (laughs) here we are. It just happened. It's there. But 
the seamless thinner rubber condoms weren't very good at not falling apart. Mm. So kind of an important thing. It needs to stay together. Yep. And it seems that right about this time, people decided to try fish bladders. That's a new one to me. I did not know that fish bladders are... I assume that it is not dissimilar to the intestine condom, except that it probably doesn't need a knot at the end. Right, because it's... Yeah. That also, I couldn't really... Going back to, like, the last time I had to butcher a fish, I'm trying to think of what the bladder looked like. It does. It's not like they're... I mean, they're not... It depends on the fish, I suppose. I don't, I, I don't have any idea what kind of fish we were talking. I guess it also depends on the size of... Uh, the size you're working with. Yeah. yeah. Who am I to judge? So at this point, it becomes time to make a condom company. Okay. Because, you know, gotta make them condoms. Yep. In 1883, a German-Jewish immigrant, Julius Schmidt, founded his Ramses and Chic condom brands after buying a sausage casing business. Yes. There you are. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, nice. Then, in 1916, Trojan brand condoms strolled onto the scene when Merle Young started Young's Rubber Company. This also, for the record, is why they are called rubbers, because they okay. used to be rubber. Makes sense. Right. Now we're going to have a major setback. Mm. The Comstock Law yep. of 1873, which there are still parts of that reverberating today. I believe Larry Flint... Uh, of Hustler Magazine fame yeah. may have been the person to take down the last of it. I can't remember. Nope. There's still, because uh, I cover it a little bit, I want to say Alabama. Oh, some states do still have still their own that, yeah. smaller version, but federally. Um, right. The, the Comstock oh, yeah. Law. So... If you aren't familiar, the Comstock Law of 1873 stated that, quote, immoral goods could not be sent through the mail. And that was how most things like this would have been ordered. Like, mm. think about the Sears catalog, where you could right. order a house and a cardigan. Yeah. Like, things were mail order. That's how... It worked before Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but because they could no longer be sent by mail specifically as condoms or prophylactics, they were listed then as medical devices and using euphemisms and my favorite happens to be gentlemen's rubber goods 
<laughs> yeah. For the dapper penis near you. <laughs> Indeed. It may also come as a, a bit of a surprise to anyone not familiar with this time period that contraception was illegal. Yep. Almost everywhere. Um, like, internationally. It Just was a thing. So crazy. Yep. But making condoms illegal didn't stop people from having sex and getting diseases and making babies. I know you're shocked. (laughs) And the time periods surrounding the American Civil War and World War I saw pretty big rises in sexually transmitted infections. Because soldiers Mm -hmm. and... In 1930, a federal appeals court ruled that condoms were legal because they had a legitimate use as disease prevention because they're not dumbasses. <laughs> and then in 1931, in, in, in a somewhat connected incident, condoms were made standard issue to all U.S. military. And then in 1936, a federal appeals court said that doctors could legally prescribe condoms to prevent disease. But it wasn't until 1965 that contraception or that contraceptives would become legal when the Supreme Court struck down the ban for married couples, specifically in Griswold v. Connecticut. Griswold. Yep. <laughs> and then in 1972, contraceptives were also made legal for single people. So take that in for a moment. That's so fucked up. Yep. And <laughs> it's just also, so crazy. to get the pill. You would, which I believe happened in, what, 1968, 1969, um, you had to have your husband's permission until extremely recently. It, like, it's, it's ridiculous. I think that the first time I was prescribed it, which would have been, uh, early 2000s maybe very early 2000s i was asked if i was married and whether or not there was someone who should be asked this was at a college health clinic oh my god (laughs) i was like i don't think you understand you got a fishbowl full of condoms right here and you're asking me that bullshit? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I don't have the details on that because that was a deep dive into an entirely different realm that we can mm-hmm. absolutely cover later. But just wanted to give you the context for the time. So at about the time that condoms become kind of legal, latex also happens to be invented. Which is a good thing, because this also happened to be about the time when our 
American boys were headed off to World War II. So that's going to be right after 1931 when condoms were made standard issue Mm -hmm. to U.S. military and after the federal appeals court said that doctors could prescribe them. So presumably the, the Surgeon General was like, all of you. Wrap it up. All of you. Yes. Do that. Cover it. Yep. And the propaganda signs around oh my God. putting condoms on are an entirely different rabbit hole that we can fall down at another time. Because, oh boy. Oh, just, oh, I didn't even think about that. Just, let's call it sexual health propaganda in general has got to be. Oh, yeah. I found an entire rabbit hole about uh, slut-shaming eugenics and Donald Duck and the history of sex ed movies. Oh, my God. That that is the name of an article by Lisa Hicks in Collectors Weekly, in case anyone was wondering. And that may come up in our Patreon episode. I haven't quite decided. All right. So, back to our boys in uniform. They were about to head off to war, and Lord knows they weren't going to keep it in their pants because they were going to almost die every damn day. And quite frankly, I wouldn't keep it in my pants if I could die at any moment. Get it while you can. Exactly. I do not feel that that is... I know that there are a lot of narratives around that being a morally questionable area, and that's also why it took so long for soldiers to actually be issued prophylactics. But, like, what would you do if you were being shot at every day? You know. And you were far away from home and you didn't know anybody. And maybe the only person who would comfort you was a sex worker. Like And they were babies. Oh I god, mean, they, they were, were so young. Right. So I yeah. no judgment here. None. No. Yep. Not at all. Um I mean it, as long as as long as the ladies got paid and they weren't being forced. Yeah. Respect and consent. Yep. Which cannot be assumed here, which right. is something I should say. Right. Anyway, I wouldn't have kept it in my pants with willing partners either, were I them. I have a fun fact. Yay. Until the 1920s, all condoms were individually hand-dipped by skilled workers. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah. All right. And so we have basically brought things up to the current what we know of. Like, condoms have added shapes. That happened in France because someone figured out that you could make condoms by dipping glass into latex and making layers and shit so you could get ribbed things. The um, French. Glass being yeah. dick-shaped glass. Phallic glass. 
Yeah. So I that's kind of cool. That is. Yeah, the whole making of condoms is really interesting. And so basically following World War Two and also the various legal struggles connected to prophylactics, they are basically recognizably what we know as condoms. And they are... I'm not sure if this is still the case, but until at least very, very recently, you could not advertise condoms on television. But when you could, finally, which I think was in uh, the mid to late 80s during the AIDS crisis, Mm -hmm. their contraceptive effects were not allowed to be mentioned. But their disease protection effects were and that was so as not to scandalize the conservative watchers of the main news broadcasting networks so like abc cbs fox which were like there were four channels when i was a kid (laughs) and they were all the major news networks Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to scandalize their watchers so they they largely didn't and i don't think like i remember the trojan man but was that tv or radio um i remember it on mtv yeah okay it was mtv it was totally mtv but i think those were some of the earliest actual advertisements And they did not mention contraceptives. They only hinted at, ew, you might get something. So, all right, one more little hop, skip, and jump with regards to the history of condoms. And let me know if you covered this because you might later and if you did then i won't did you cover how to make a victorian condom no okay so this is from the atlantic written by ruth goodman and there is a photo so if anybody wants to know there is a photo and uh, i i think it's written in so they used to be nicknamed French letters sometimes. And I do believe that this is in a package that looks like a letter with French written on it, which I think is really funny. All right. So to make actual condoms in Victorian times, like I said earlier, it was an actual skilled trade because it was hard to do properly. And the intestines for the condoms would need to be soaked for a couple of hours before use to make them pliable and easy to put on. And like I said, you had to wear them with a a ribbon around them. 
and they needed to be washed out and allowed to dry and there were also powders that you could get um, basically like cornstarch that made uh, that lessened the friction of putting them on and made it so they wouldn't stick together like it was a whole thing but what I didn't say earlier was that these were largely the territory of wealthy men. Yeah, that would make sense. Because they could afford it. Because the handwork that is needed to make an actual condom that would be useful is really complicated. The sheep gut or whatever gut you happen to be using, in this case it's sheep, needs to be soaked in an alkali solution, stripped of all its adjoining tissue, so it leaves only the gut wall. And while you're washing it, you need to not put holes in it. And then it needs to be cut into lengths, because these are intestines. I... If you don't know what intestines look like, Google them. <laughs> and so they're cut into lengths and put over a wooden former where a ribbon is rolled onto one end and the other end is tied firmly with a length of thread. When mostly dry, the condom is removed from the former and allowed to dry completely before being boxed up. And it says in this article that... Ruth, I'm guessing this is a personal statement, seems to be telling us that she has attempted to make such condoms, but they were too difficult. Okay. So, that that is a thing. I, I would be interested to know if at the time household sewing and making would have provided the manual and fine motor skills to be able to do that more easily. I don't know. It, to some extent, but I think there's a, probably a certain, like, a certain amount of science and butchery involved to make sure you're getting everything out yeah, I mean, there's From definitely the chemistry. Because there's, I mean, th that which dwells within there when it's in the animal is highly toxic. So. Yuck. Yeah, there's. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> in so many different ways. Indeed. So now we've basically gotten up to modern condoms that are now in sizes and shapes and colors and all of the things which by the way colored condoms did exist pretty early on just for fun that's cool. so yep but that is the early history of the condom nice Cover your dicks, friends. Yes, wrap it up. If you're sticking it someplace unfamiliar, yes. cover it. And friends with uh, vaginas, 
make sure that your friends with dicks cover it. Yes. If they're going anywhere near you. Keep it healthy. Yep. Keep it happy down there. Yes. You're downstairs, You're downstairs kitty cat. Kitty cat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait, who was the person that I got that from? Pinky. Oh, what's it? I can find her because I follow her as well. She yeah. is a wonderful TikTok personality. Anyway, Pinky oh, on hey, TikTok who <laughs> seems to be, uh, I believe, an Indian woman. She is. Who tells uh, it like it is. Yeah. It is Pinky Patel. Pinky is Patel. her name, and it's Hot Mess Express Pinky Style is her, <laughs> is her handle on the TikToks. Well, there you go. Um, she's anyway, I, I stole downstairs kitty cat from her because I heard it today and couldn't stop laughing. Also, she insists that all women should wear crowns because we are queens. And I think that is fun. Um, it's true. Yeah. So today I'm going to take us on a quick little journey down the historical trail of dildos and vibrators. Yay. Because sometimes you just need a quickie. Um, <laughs> also there's. I bit off more than I could chew in this. I didn't realize how huge oh, this turned into. Oh, did you? I did. Uh, so like anything. That's you need... what she said. Right. I'm like, there's no way I can say that in any other. <sighs> so like anything, you need to walk before you can run. So I'm going to take us. I oh. thought you were going to say ride. <laughs> <laughs> All the way back to around, oh, 28 thousand years ago hot damn yeah like ice age ice age um so you see in 2005 in the whole fells cave near ulm a tubingen university team discovered what is believed to be the first dildo Once, can you imagine that conversation right once it was reassembled from 14 fragments, the Yo, highly- professor. <laughs> what that? Uh, the highly polished siltstone measured uh, 20 centimeters, which is about 7.87 inches for us dirty Americans. Um, and it's kind of impressive. Uh, professor Nicholas Connard with the university's Department of Early Prehistory and Quaternary Ecology explained his excitement to the BBC, female representations with highly accentuated sexual attributes are very well documented at many sites, but male representations are very, very rare. Now, he's talking specifically from that time period. Uh, Design-wise, it's actually pretty modern-looking, and the fact that it is upheld after, like, 28... I mean, it was in fragments, but highly polished. Friggin' 28,000 years. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so one of the early civilizations to experiment with dildos was my beloved <laughs> ancient Egyptians. Uh, of course they were. They were down. Yes, they were. So women wearing large phallic objects around their waists to pay tribute to Osiris, who is the god of fertility, agriculture, the afterlife, the dead, resurrection, life, and vegetation. So big be, dick energy? Yep. Can be seen in Egyptian paintings from 3000 BCE. On that is amazing. Right? On top of that, legend has it that Cleopatra in 50 BCE filled, filled a hollow gourd 
or a small box, depending on the story, with bees allegedly creating the first vibrator. Um, bees? Bees. Now, I'm not quite sure the vibrator portion of our tale. Bees! Yeah. But I'm going on a timeline here, so, I mean, it counts. Uh, bees! Yes, bees. Kiss the buzz. Um, but no, I, I get bees. <laughs> I know. So I love this. Uh, the whole Cleopatra bee vibrator story became popular after the release of the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices by Brenda Love in 1992. Hmm. But Debbie Downer historian Helen King came along and claims that there's no archaeological evidence of such material. Boo. <laughs> So no historian could prove the statement that Love wrote in her book. Now, I Where just, did she get that right, statement? Well, and it's different. So one is that she gazed upon a beehive and came up with the idea um, with the gourd. Another is that she had uh, one of her engineers actually create the little box. It was a little box. Bees went in. She put it on top. So, yeah. Um, now, I choose to believe it because I'm me. Um, but... I do really, um, I do I have mean, kind she of she was the queen. Couldn't right. she just have someone come in and do that? True, true, true. Um, I, it does point out an, an issue, though, that this seems to be part of a tiny and disappointing trend of women authors perhaps not providing enough proof for their statements on things related to women's sexual health and practice. That oh. ends up going viral, if you will. Um, another popular theory gets called into question later. Um, and it may just be that um, that they did the best they could with the information that they had. Um, so, moving along to ancient Greeks. Mm -hmm. They enjoyed using olis boy, which were stuffed phalluses made of polished leather. Oh, they also may have been uh, the first to come up with the regular use of lube. Back in mm. those days, olive oil wasn't just a staple of their diet. They doubled as the best lube available. Fair enough. Right? Uh, they also uh, may be the original source of connecting sex and women's alleged hysteria. The Greeks believed that a lack of sperm caused hysteria or a wandering uterus. <laughs> so, okay. Oh. So, well, because his. That's what it's doing. Yeah. So, hysteria is actually based on the Help! word for uterus in Greek. So, Greek men who left home for long periods of time to fight in wars actually gave their wives these dildos, the Aulis boy, to prevent hysteria. So, I mean, good on them for that. I mean. But, like, that doesn't help the sperm problem. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there's a couple holes in that theory. Uh, other ancient texts from around the world, including the Arabian Nights, mention fruit, vegetables, and other basically phallic-shaped objects being used for sexual stimulation and fulfillment. It's the Italians that provide us with the word diletto, meaning to delight, from which the modern English word dildo evolved. Hmm. By the time of the Renaissance, dildo creation actually became a fucking art form. 
Members of the upper class had dildos custom made from silver, ivory, and other precious materials. And there are some amazing examples. Uh, later in the 17th century England, men got all up in their fields and feared that the use of these ever firm phalluses as a threat to their own sexual prowess and did what men fucking do, created a number of laws passed to prohibit women from making them for themselves and others. Fuck you. Right? <laughs> uh... John Wilmot, Earl of Rochester, allegedly wrote a poem titled Signor Dildo, which may, uh, have, uh, oh. <laughs> which may have fueled these fears by implying that the women of England were turning away from men toward dildos. Now, there is a Well, link. maybe they should figure out how to fuck then. Right? This is what I'm saying. Uh, there is a link to an article uh, and the full poem in the show notes it's pretty long, and they establish that there's no real proof that he was the author. Um, it could have been several authors. It's just attributed to him. But you're 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 welcome to to read the gloriousness that is that poem. Now, during this same time period, our friends in Japan had an entirely different relationship to dildos, as evident in their erotic novels known as Shinga. In these stories, they didn't threaten to replace penises. Uh, they were depicted, like, playfully. There are shunga that showed women shopping for, masturbating with, or sitting in rooms that were decorated with dildos. Yes. Moving forward, uh, I want to take a deeper dive eventually into early American dildo use, uh, as the information is super tough to find, and the reason that early information or information on early American dildos is scarce is partially due to the Comstock laws that you um, that you mentioned before. Um, there was mm. the original one was 1873, but it was also like an umbrella of law. So not yeah. only with the U.S. Postal Service that you know had the list of what they deemed obs- like obscene and, and yeah. not able to. It was to- the distribution, right? Of- so uh, one of one specifically uh, banned the sales of rubber dilators, which had previously largely been sold as medical devices, which you see as a theme. So um, because of that, I mean, things went things went underground. I mean, now, wasn't that because gender uh, affirming surgery was more common then? I. That I'm not sure. As um, a treatment for being gay, I think, often. But. That I, did not come up in my research, so I'm not sure. Well, um, I I could be wrong. I mean, I know that it's true that it was more common. Yeah. But I, and that, that dilators would be used. Right. But anyway. So. Despite the laws, however, sex toys were sold through an underground market. Now, I would (laughs) like to believe that as sex-positive feminist crafters, we absolutely would have been running an underground ring of some sort during this time. Dildos. Get your dildos. (laughs) Get your dildos. Any size. Any shape. Handcrafted dildos. Uh, like their English This counter. one looks like a TARDIS. <laughs> yes. A little lightsaber. Uh, 
their English counterparts, uh, or like their English counterparts, American men, totally concerned and threatened by dildos. In, oh, no. Yeah, imagine that. In the 1930s and 40s, there were actually comics that came out that included dildo use, but the main message of them was that sex with men was superior. Uh, clearly written by men. Uh, which brings us I to... I mean, that generally is the case if you're having sex with someone who knows how to use it. Right, right. Or knows how to use other things in addition to it. Right. Uh, which brings us to our next topic. You see, ironically, despite all of the dildo-driven anxiety, vibrators buzzed on by without any controversy. And <laughs> that was largely because they were marketed as non-sexual. So enter one of the most deliciously scandalous stories in the history of medicine. Yes. So at the height of the Victorian era, doctors regularly treated their female patients by stimulating them to the big O. This mm -hmm. mass treatment was supposedly a cure for the medical condition of hysteria. It is said that it was so popular that physicians needed a way to get the job done quickly and efficiently without exhausting the use of their hands and wrists. Uh, oh my god, I, I don't think I knew that there was a manual aspect to it before. Yep, enter the vibrator. I mean, it Man, makes, you would want to be dating a doctor. Right? Uh, it makes sense that the focus would be on making it easier for the man. Now, uh, the idea that doctors used vibrators to masturbate women for hysteria can be traced back to a book called The Technology of Orgasm, Hysteria, the Vibrator, and Women's Sexual Satisfaction, written by the historian of technology, Rachel Maines, who is now a visiting researcher at Cornell University in the U.S., and it was published in 1999. The problem is, like our lovely Cleopatra vibrator story... It seems this one may not be accurate. Hmm. Wah, wah. So I've read numerous articles about the controversy and like basically it's essentially a showdown between Mainz and the somewhat debunker of this. And the bottom line is that it's a theory, not necessarily a fact, but also not necessarily a lie. So who is the debunker? You mentioned her earlier and that would be Hallie Lieberman. Hist historian of technology at the Georgia Institute of Technology and also author of Buzz, the Stimulating History of the Sex Toy, which I devoured for this episode. Um, yes. For what I knew of the history of sexuality, it sounded unlikely that doctors would be doing this, says Lieberman. When I checked the book sources, that's when I first really thought, oh, okay, there's something up with this. So I highly encourage you to check out her book and anything she's written. Lieberman obtained her PhD here from UW-Madison in 2014 with a dissertation on sex toy history. Fuck yes, she did. Yeah. So her work, while I'm a little salty that she's trying to burst my Victorian bubble, is amazing. So uh, definitely check her out. Now, backtracking a little bit. So remember how I mentioned vibrators like slip through his medical devices? Mm -hmm. Well, that much is true. Uh, their origin is relatively established. And I think it's the exact use and motive that is the actual theorized part. So the first electromechanical vibrator was a device called the per Percateur. 
invented by British physician Joseph Mortimer Granville in the late 1870s, early 1880s. Now, Granville thought that vibration powered the human nervous system, and he developed the percutor as a medical device for stimulating ailing nerves. Current medical opinion held that hysteria was a nervous disease, yet Granville refused to treat female patients. Simply because I don't want to be hoodwinked by the vagaries of hysterical state. The Uh, vibrator, yeah, the vibrator is you, man. Pretty much. Pretty vibrator began as therapy for men only. It then quickly left (gasps) the sphere of mainstream medical practice. Now, there is a movie uh, that was made in 2012. What were they vibrating on men? Right. Um,. I mean, I can think of several areas where that would be applicable. It's just that... Hmm. Yep. Uh, So there is a 2012 movie called Hysteria based on Granville. Uh, It and the theory... And it's it's a rather fun watch. It's based on the... uh, Granville is adorable and charming. So obviously nothing like the real one. Uh, And he uh, starts working for this medical practice. uh, Believes in the uh manual stimulate stimulation of women ends up booming this medical practice that he just started working for because all the women they're like yes please and then he started getting super tired and hand crampy because he had them lined up so it's got maggie gillenthal in it um it's it's kind of cute it's almost rom-commy uh but Mm. it's it's worth a watch um but it, it it's it shows how how deep this theory went, and it's also a murder plot device in Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. Yeah, oh, I love Miss Fisher's. Me too. Love Miss Fisher's. That is why my cats are named Detective Inspector Jack <laughs> Robinson and Friny. It's perfect. Well, two of my cats. Anyway, so where does the female hysteria sex connection come in? Well, the 20th century American and European men, including physicians, believed that women did not experience sexual desire or pleasure. They pretty much just saw... Oh. Yeah, they pretty much just saw... They were really as, bad at it. Yeah. Fleshy receptacles for male lust and baby making and... Gross. Any intercourse culminating in male ejaculation just automatically fulfilled women's erotic needs. Oh! Mm-hmm. As a result, women were, like, socialized to believe that ladies had no sex drive and that duty required them to put up with sex in order to keep their husbands happy and pop out offspring. Huh. So it will shock precisely zero people that these beliefs left an enormous number of women sexually frustrated. They then complained to doctors of anxiety, sleeplessness, irritability, nervousness, Erotic fantasies, feelings of heaviness in the lower abdomen, and wetness between the legs. This Mm. syndrome became known as hysteria, which, as I said, was from the Greek word for uterus. So another... So they were horny. Pretty much. Like, they were just friggin' sexually frustrated and pent up. Um, Fair enough. Right? Uh, another key part to the original theory, stretching back into the 1800s, 
Electric vibrators were heavily marketed in magazines, periodicals, medical literature, and newspapers. Yeah. Uh, one such ad from around 1904 depicts a woman sitting relaxed, her head slightly to one side, a stoic-looking doctor in a long white coat, stands behind her, touching her neck. Strapped to one of his hands is a metal device with a thick black cable, an electrical vibrator designed to ease the strain of, massa- uh, of massaging patients. But there is no sign in the image that the device is to be used anywhere other than the patient's neck. Uh, in another ad, the uh, treatment uh, is administered not by a doctor, but by the patient herself. Shaped like a hairdryer, the Sanifix vibrator from around 1913 came in a small wooden box, complete with several different attachments. I mean several, and some of them are a little interesting. Um, In a series of photographs, a serious-faced woman with a ruffled white dress holds the vibrator to her forehead, her jaw, her throat, and her chest. There's also... um, there are some places that don't make very much sense for... Right. There's also... Uh, I believe it was marketing... My forehead doesn't want vibrating. Right. No, it doesn't. No. My head does not need it. Um, There's also a specific model that was that had an, an... It was literally called an anal attachment, and it was marketed toward men and women, uh, which, you know, good on you. Get it. Uh well but also could go very right i mean Uh, but enemas were super popular true true uh when mains who was the original uh writer of the theory or at least popularizer of it came across these adverts herself they intrigued her i spent 19 years researching in libraries in the u.s and europe trying to find more about the history of vibrators says mains there wasn't much material even in the primary sources. That's why it took me 19 years and eventually I wrote a book. So it's not like she didn't do due diligence, I think. I think she just pieced together what she could and that's the theory she came up with. I don't think there was ill intent. And I she, mean, she stands by her theory to this day. Um, all I'm saying is if you've got something that vibrates and you get it close to there... Seriously. You're like, going to put it there. Right. Like once you, once you're like, hey, that did that thing. That's it. That's, I mean, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any doctor massaging your legs, for example, if you are restless. Right. You're going to get, get some thighs and well. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It, it happens. So it's super easy to see how the theory was arrived to and how it would hold merit. Uh, but the early 20th century uh, manufacturers were selling vibrators as ordinary electrical like household appliances. At the time, electricity was dangerous and expensive, but it was you know it promised excitement and you know modern life. Uh, electric commodities like sewing machines and washing machines they became like the hallmark of rising middle class. So if you had these things that you were, you know, you were middle class or or higher. So vibrators were just another shiny new technology used to sell. What household task were vibrators supposed to perform? I'm getting to that. Uh, So 
Vibrators were another shiny new technology used to sell customers on the prospect of modern electrical living. This cracks me up. So just as, you know, banks used to hand out free toasters for opening checking accounts in like the 60s. Mm -hmm. In the 1940s, the Rural Electrification Administration distributed free vibrators to encourage farmers to electrify their homes. These modern electric devices were not thought of as sex toys. Allegedly. Uh, but whatever the origin story, what we know is that vibrators were used on the body as a cure for basically almost every possible fucking ailment. Pamphlets proclaim their effectiveness against, this is not a complete list, but including insomnia, paralysis, neuralgia, epilepsy, consumption, sciatica, lumbago, gout, Consumption? Yes. (laughs) I don't think that's helping with my tuberculosis. You know, sciatica, lumbago, gout, deafness, vomiting, constipation, hemorrhoids, and sore throats. The literature also claimed it was good for the liver and even good for health problems in children. So basically, it sounds like, you know, a little bit of electric snake oil. Yep. In 1915, when the American Medical Association made a public statement that marked vibrators for medical use out to be a delusion and a snare... And any effect that they had on patients was psychological and not medical. Manufacturers of these devices were left with the problem. Now, at this point, there was an entire fucking industry devoted to making these devices. There had been the hand crank version, which evolved into steam-powered models, which I would love to see. Oh, that worked, because that... Steampunk vibrator? No, thank you. Right? Which turned... Which in turn then evolved into the electrical power devices but now doctors weren't keen on buying them anymore uh one company in 1903 made a bold move releasing an advert for the hygia sexual appliance for men and women this was the earliest source of a vibrator associated with sex that lieberman discovered in her research but openly selling a vibrator as a sexual appliance was rare because it was considered obscene you'd see ads in the new york times the chicago tribune and all over the uk too says lieberman they were seen as a home appliance for leisurely women showing them having a massage during the day as time went on the ads became more or less subtly sexualized shirtless men women in low club blouses would be shown happily displaying the vibrators because of the coyness around advertising vibrators explicitly as sex toys it's hard to pin down when they were first widely known to be used as such yeah the kind of vibrator that we think of today started showing up in the 1950s and became more common and openly sold in the 1960s said lieberman but it was still controversial now uh the controversy took a super long time to subside and, like, in Alabama, obscenity laws still prohibit advertising and selling vibrators. Now, really? I'm just... I'm just you can't like, get a vibrator in Alabama? I mean, you can. You just can't advertise. Oh, maybe not selling. You can't advertise it, though. Oh, you can't sell it either. Nope. No. I, I, oh, okay, I, now I gotta Google sex toy shops in Alabama. Alabama, are you okay? Um, no, Alabama is not okay. Right? Now... This is my theory. Now, 
the second you realize the effect that something has on your body in a very pleasant manner, I, you can't tell me that people didn't figure that out quite some time ago and that that wasn't a widely known thing that was maybe obviously not advertised, but it was a little wink and a nod. Uh, so in the 1970s, Radical feminists transformed the vibrator from a relic of bygone domesticity to a tool of female sexual liberation. At Betty Dodson's body sex workshops, electric vibration changed feelings of guilt about masturbation to feelings of celebration so that masturbation became an act of self-love. She and her sisters embraced vibrators as a political technology that could convert frigid, anorgasmic housewives into powerful sexual beings capable of both having multiple orgasms and destroying the patriarchy. Fuck yes. Right? Also, uh, Alabama sells them as novelties. <laughs> I'm guessing that's, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of like the... And the law is still on the books. Kind of like the for tobacco use only in in uh, bongs around the country and states that have not legalized pot yet. Mm-hmm. So this masturbatory revolt erased the vibrator's fading reputation as a cure for masturbatory illness and replaced it with a specific, powerful, public, and lasting linkage between the vibrator and female masturbatory practice. Betty Dotson is another deep dive, no pun intended, uh, that I highly recommend. We tragically lost her uh, Halloween of last year. Uh, but she was an American sex educator. She was an artist by training. She exhibited erotic art in New York before pioneering the pro-sex feminist movement. Dotson's workshops and manuals encouraged women to masturbate, oftentimes in groups. Dotson's Why not? And- Webson weapon of choice was the Woo, college. You're right. <laughs> oh yes. Uh Dodson's weapon of choice was the Hitachi Magic Wand. Hell uh, yes. Officially manufactured for relieving Strongly agree. tension and relaxing sore muscles, which is still beloved today. And I mean beloved. Uh it sure does relieve tension. Yep. Uh This was a super brief and left out a lot of ranting on the whole patriarchal stifling of our sexuality, including an entire episode's worth of material in terms of sex toys and the infantilization of them in general when it comes to women. Um, Oh, God. But uh, like Hitachi, after Betty launched their wand into the sexual hemisphere, I like to think of them as personal care items. And to this day... Hitachi uh, still maintains, they call them personal care items, but they are like, she literally made this small little Japanese company huge. Well, they don't sell attachments. No, they don't. Um, I mean, you can get them, but they don't natively sell attachments. Hi, Jack, are you coming up? Jack keeps coming over. Uh, huh. So there you have it. I feel like the takeaway from this is y'all are prudes and need to get over it. Seriously. Like, 
People have been fucking as long as there have been people. Right, right. But it's more than fucking. It's, It's the overall attempt to deny women orgasms. Oh, yeah. Like, just boggles my mind. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even the um, the history of condoms, all of that is specific to men getting off. Yeah. It, there's no real addition for women. Most of it just looks uncomfortable. Right. It just, uh, yeah. I... I got ragey. Uh, I also included a link. There's another book that I wanted to read. I include in the notes. Um, I discovered, like, I just added, like, a crap ton of books. I started to try to get through it in time, um, but realized that I wasn't going to. Um, I don't know if I linked it in the show notes for this week or for the next one. Uh, It is... The Victorian Guide to Sex, Desire, and Deviance in the 19th Century by Fern Riddell. Um, And I quoted a lot in the Patreon episode we've got coming up. But it, uh, from the start of what I've read, is a good fun read, too. But that's specifically Victorian-focused. But definitely check out Buzz and anything that uh, Hallie Liedman has done because she's pretty freaking cool. Um, Yep. And I, I think, I want to say she's the first person to obtain a PhD with a dissertation on sex toys. Like, I think she, and sex health in general like that, um, which is know. pretty cool. Yeah. So. Very cool. Ah, that hmm. it took till 2014, but. Yeah, she better not be turfy. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Good. We don't tolerate the turfs. Hell no. Mm-mm. Out, 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 out. Out, damn turfs. Yes. Wow. Well, that is quite a wander that we could have gone off on so many tangents, <laughs> but we mostly didn't, except for I did a lot. I don't, not really. I don't think so. Right. Um, so... I think oh. that brings us to it does the, the weekly, weekly worst. worst way to die. Da, da, da. <laughs> so what's yours? Syphilis. Oh, shit. Full stop. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yep, that'll do it. Nose falling off, face caving oh. in, body covered with sores, and then going batshit crazy. Yeah, there is not a single dicking down that's worth that. I'm just saying. It's not. Nope. Nope. There is no orgasm in this world that is worth the syphilis. Uh, nope. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, mine is a malfun- malfunctioning happy toy. <laughs> like, I just, you know, accidentally electrocute myself. But I guess at least I would presumably go happily hmm but also what an awkward way to go awkward yes but i suppose if you're gonna have to pick away 
True, true. There are worse ways to pick. <laughs> that is true. <sighs> so, well, hey. Do you want to be spooky internet friends? Uh-huh. <laughs> you can find us at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tiki Talks, all over the place. Um, I forgot we're on TikTok. I still haven't okay. followed us. <laughs> it's fine. We don't have anything on there yet. It's just there and ready to go. So we'll be rolling that out eventually. Yay. Um, or you can Thank just... goodness for teens. Your right. teens, specifically. <laughs> not teens generally. Teens. I'm not creepy in that. It'll just be her way. and her mushrooms. <laughs> That's fine. Honestly, that would be a very appropriate use of our TikTok. I'm saying... Uh, you can also, if you forget all that, just find us at bonesandbobbins.com. Uh-huh. And don't forget to rate and review this very podcast if you like it. Just go ahead and pass if you don't. <laughs> because it's fine. It doesn't need to be for you. But if it is for you, please give us a five-star rating and <laughs> review. You can, I don't know, tell us what your favorite sex toy is. Yeah. That that would be fun. Uh, it would please the internet gremlins and us. And that is, in fact, how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls. All of them. Yes. And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. And wrap it up because no one wants syphilis. <laughs> Jesus, please do. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts Follow us on Spotify or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content. <laughs>